You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is John Bogdanov, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is New Mutants, episode 6A, covering a period of the New Mutants from 1988 to 1989. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your co-host, Frank Martini. And uh, we will be covering, with this episode, New Mutants 71 to 76 and Exterminators miniseries, one to four. Now, the New Mutants episode 6B is one that we already released. In fact, we released it way back in 2019, I think early 2019. So that, oh, was, a, wow. that was a long time ago. <laughs> and we, we had some scheduling conflicts because I wanted to bring in another special guest for the Exterminators uh, miniseries. And I'll explain that in a second. And we did record that miniseries, but we never got around to getting the rest of the issues in the first half of this epic collection recorded. So I joked in that episode, and if you're listening to these in chronological order now, you'll hear this joke again in the next episode. Um, I, I joked that this epic collections release their volumes out of order, and we release ours our episodes out of order. <laughs> in fact, we are even splitting up the book and releasing that way out of order as well. So uh, it has been a couple years but this epic collection called Curse of the Valkyries, New Mutants Curse of the Valkyries, it has two distinct halves. The first half is Inferno, and the second half is this Valkyrie story. And there's a pretty good split right down the middle, so it, it makes for uh, two really nice self-contained episodes. And the reason I mentioned Exterminators before is because the team called the Exterminators is, uh, has its roots in X-Factor. And they, they star a whole bunch of these teens who kind of X-Factor takes under their wing. And uh, and over on the X-Factor podcast that I'm doing, I've been doing those episodes with Jared Abrahamson. So I wanted to have him be in the conversation since the Exterminators are basically, you know, that's basically the X-Factor characters, uh, minus the, of course, the X-Men X-Factor characters. Uh, they tie in a great deal throughout this first half of the book, and uh, e and even moving forward after this, because the Exterminators and New Mutants eventually merge to become the, I guess, the new New Mutants and what turns out to be X Force. Mm. What we're going to do here, we're going to talk a little bit about this volume, and then we're going to hand it over to the recording we did way back then, and it'll be interesting because since I recorded that last, uh, you know, a few years ago improvements in technology because of COVID really enhancing the way video calls and, mm. and audio calls work. The audio is a lot clearer now than it was back then even. And I think I, I, I hit puberty between now and then. <laughs> right. Oh boy. Yep. We'll, we'll, we'll flip it over there and then we'll come back to deal with the remaining issues in the first half of this book that we didn't get to record last time. 
but before we get to that, what are some of the things that we need to know, Frank, about this the ongoing storyline here? If people are jumping into this book without having read any others, uh, what do people need to know? Um, the, the main thing that people need to know is that there is this uh, growing demonic situation uh, involving, obviously, Iliana, uh, magic, and the demonic growing influence on her. So she's evolving, she's changing. The new mutants are coming back from a rather long storyline that takes place in epic number five, if I remember well. They are bringing back a character called Gossamer. Recently, I think also that that's about around that time that the Gramsci may have passed away. Yes. It's also a very uh, traumatic moment uh, for them. Other things to know is that the X-Men are supposed to be dead at that point. They disappeared in Dallas, so everybody thinks that they are dead, and it comes into play, uh, at least to some extent, into this episode. And Professor Xavier is not around anymore, and Magneto was the mentor of the New Mutants at the time, uh, and this also comes heavily into play into this um, into this collection. Am I forgetting something? Oh man, there's so much that you could say. I mean, you could also say <laughs> that um, Magma has deflected and has joined the Hellions yeah. at this point, so she's not in this book. Not that it affects mm. these stories here, uh, because we were, I don't think we're going to see her at all, uh, or at least in the first half mentions. of the book. A couple of mentions. Yeah, a couple of mentions. Danny's power are changing yep. a bit. She can now sort of create things right. that people are wishing for. It would come handy. It would be handy in a couple of. Uh, uh, in a couple of episodes, and they change costume. That's right, yeah. And this is this whole story here, the Inferno story, is the culmination of the uh, of Ileana Rasputin's story that started way back in the very first Epic collection. So we're, the, you know, this is seventy issues later, and this is kind of the end for now of her story arc uh, of uh, mm. of turning into the Dark Child and all of this kind of stuff. So. We're going to get into that uh, in a little bit here, but I have some listener comments. Um, I asked way, way back. I had to uh, search my archives on online, the, the photos archives, to find uh, where <laughs> I <laughs> left these comments, and I have some from uh, from Facebook. Tommy says, I've only read the New Mutants issues tied to Inferno and Exterminators for now, and I love them. I was impressed by Colossus appearing valiantly amidst the chaos to save his sister, and it looks like Age of Apocalypse referenced that scene in its ending. That's interesting. Yeah, in the X-Men Omega. And another comment from uh, Yoav. He says, it's my favorite epic collection from the ones I own. I only own six, though. This was back in 2018, so I'm not sure if he's got more since then. Hope so. He says, it contains the New Mutants part in my favorite Marvel event, Inferno, and my favorite X-related miniseries, Exterminators, and a great part of Louise Simonson's run that hasn't been collected yet. I can't recommend this epic highly enough. So when this one came out, uh, New Mutants, the beginning of New Mutants is pretty well collected, and the end of New Mutants is well collected. And then their roles in all of the X crossovers are well collected. But anything that's not that has been uh, kind of forgotten. But right now, as it stands with the Epic Collections, we have all all volumes except for volume three and four. And all the rest of New Mutants has been released now. So that's a really good place to stand. And so I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see 
Um, you know, it should take two more years if they keep the one a year schedule to get the entire run of New Mutants, and that's pretty fantastic. Yeah, and the, what I think is really good uh, about New Mutants is that you have two writers uh, taking care of half and half of the book. Right. With Clement doing the first half, yep. and then Louis Simonson taking over. Uh, as, and also, she was editor of the, the X books. So she was around, uh, she was also writing X Factor at, at the time, and you can see that definitely in that collection, gives a great coherence. And as we record this, we recently recorded uh, other you know, previous New Mutants episodes, and it's, it's clear that here, the New Mutants has taken a step back from being the sister or the brother title to the X-Men, and will get a, a more closer vibe to X-Factor than to, to, to X-Men, actually. Yeah, and that just makes sense because the X-Men are presumed dead and they're off doing their own mm. thing literally on the other side of the world right now. Okay, so I think this is the part of the episode where we need to hand it over to the part that we've already recorded. So here comes Exterminators, numbers 1 to 4, plus New Mutants, number 71. Exterminators is an interesting miniseries because it comes out of sort of both worlds. It comes from one uh, title and then ends sort of in a different title. So, Jared, you're my X Factor co-host. Can you tell me a little bit about the characters that we see in the, the Exterminators miniseries? In X Factor, they have been finding these young mutants and, and training them. Uh, and the, the characters, you know, who become the exterminators are Rusty and Skids, Boom Boom, Richter, Artie and Leech, and then this new guy, Wizkid. And they've all been found by X-Factor along the way. And uh, do you want me to talk about their powers or anything? Or uh, Sure, yeah. Give, you can give us a rundown of, of uh, who they are. Because uh, if yeah. you've been reading New Mutants up to this time, uh, if you've been reading all of these epic collections, volumes one through six, which at the time of this recording, they're not all out. But in the future, if you're reading all of them, these characters are unknown to you. All of a sudden, we start off volume six with completely new weird characters who already have a history. So, yeah, why don't you run run down quick, quickly for us what, what these characters do? Rusty has fire powers, uh, you know, controls fire a little bit. Skids has a energy shell around her that nothing can touch her or or things just slide off boom boom makes these little energy bombs uh that explode things richter uh shakes things like earthquake like the richter scale i guess Artie is uh you know a little guy who uh doesn't speak but he he uh, has shows people visions of, of what he's trying to say, and Leech uh, prevents other mutants from using their powers. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Frank? Yeah, I was wondering, Leech is, is coming out of the Morlocks, right, if I remember well? Yeah, so is Skids, actually, both of them. Um, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. yes, yeah, and and they both joined X-Factor uh, during the Mutant Massacre uh, crossover. 
Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of information. Now, there's, I, I guess, the only other thing that you really need to know about the exterminators is that way back in X Factor number one, Rusty accidentally kills someone. Now, it, I can't remember. Is that when his powers manifest for the first time, or is he just using them and doesn't have great great control of them? I think that's when his powers first showed up. Mm-hmm. I yeah. yeah, he kills somebody, and then so in X Factor number thirty three, which I think it was published concurrently with X. Terminators number one, Rusty hands himself over to Freedom Force, who are um, a government agency that is sent to, you know, arrest mutants. And that one's led by Mystique, uh, blobs on the team and such. And so that's what that's where we come in kind of at the beginning of this story, because Rusty is being taken away, uh, sent to jail. Um, other than that, is there anything else that we would need to know about the characters' storylines, um, either the new mutant storylines or Exterminator storylines? Well, there's not much we see of X-Factor, so there is not much we need to add, but uh, it it just takes place. Uh, Archangel has joined again the team after being killed, I would say, by uh, Apocalypse. And uh, so there's that which is sort of new. Uh, but regarding the exterminators, it's all. But regarding the new mutants, there are quite a few things uh, also. Yeah, there's a lot going on with uh, uh, with with all of the X books right now. At the time, the the X Men are presumed dead, and at that point, mm. Xavier had placed Magneto in charge of the New Mutants, and they are actively rebelling from him. And so they're they're in the middle of that right now. Um, they're they're on their own. They don't have a school or leadership because they are ditching Magneto and the Xavier Institute. A lot of stuff happening with magic at the moment as well. She's kind of going through a transformation, mm-hmm. and her transformation continues through here. And the New Mutants have a new team member, I think. That's important to say as well, uh, Gossamer. And Gossamer mm-hmm. is an alien. She was an alien spy, but she was a spy under duress um, who aided the team when they were in space in the previous volume. And so they, they she's she helped them out in the end and made friends, and now she's back here uh, with them on Earth. And so her story will pick up. Uh, but she, she appears in this miniseries just kind of on the side doesn't really have an active role it's not until later on in this volume mm. that she gets a bigger role to play there is also the the, the status of magneto which is who's getting into a, a gray zone because he used to be obviously a bad guy then uh, he became head of the and now he's getting closer and closer with the fire club uh, he's getting towards becoming a villain uh, over again and that takes place in the next few issues, so it's already there uh, during the Inferno crossover. And uh, well, yes, as the the story of issue seventy one will stay, will start, they are just coming back from the fight again uh, against Spider, which takes place in the previous volume. Inferno is already uh, underway uh, in the pages of Uncanny X Men as uh, as the story starts, as the book starts. So Inferno is a, a big, big storyline that crossed over all of the X titles and several of the regular Marvel Universe titles. And there were basically two stories going on there. The X-Men were dealing with Madeline Pryor kind of slowly losing her mind thanks to Mr. Sinister kind of manipulating her and telling her things about her past that she didn't know before. And also the fight over her baby, Christopher. I think he's called Christopher at this time. And uh, yes. 
who happens yep. to be spoiler alert happens to be Cable from <laughs> when Cable <laughs> comes back from the future, and 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 so that's one storyline. But the other half of Inferno has to do with an, a, a demon invasion. Sim, who we've met in New Mutants previously, has taken over uh, has taken over Limbo from Magic, and he's making a deal with this other demon called Naster, and together they are going to open up a portal to Earth and unleash all the demons and take over starting with take over the whole planet starting with New York City and so that's the side of Inferno that we deal with um, in this mini series and moving forward into the New Mutant series. Wow, that's a lot of backstory actually to uh, <laughs> to, to let yeah, you know. I was about to say that. I mean, if you haven't been reading the stuff before, you and you end up reading this book. There's a lot of background you need to you need to get. Yeah, it it sort of just throws you into the deep end <laughs> right away. Mm. Yeah. Or it could have yeah. been named Welcome to Marvel in the in the eighties. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> But they do do a good job, if you have never read any of that previous stuff, of bringing you up to speed. And that's kind of the nature of Marvel Comics in this era, is that they, they craft the dialogue um, and give you some flashbacks if necessary uh, in order to catch you up to to what you need to know in order if in case you're coming into this cold. So Louise Simonson, who is writing both The Exterminators and The New Mutants miniseries, does a very good job of that, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I, actually, it was one of the office politics of Jim Shooter who who said every issue is someone's first issue, so they have to, to, to understand immediately what it's all about. So in the first few pages, you need to uh, recap as much as you can who is the character, what they are doing, and uh, uh, what's the status. Uh, so that's what they do here. It's a perfect example of getting you up to speed as you read along. It's, uh, it's a nice way of storytelling. Just before we move into the issues, I have um, a listener comment. I asked on Facebook if anybody wants to comment on this volume in particular. And I got one comment from Yoav. And he says, this is my favorite epic collection from the ones that I own, which is only six, though. Um, it contains the New Mutants part in my favorite Marvel event, Inferno, and my favorite X-related miniseries, X-Terminators, and a great part of Louis Simonson's run that hasn't been collected yet. I can't recommend uh, this epic highly enough. You know, and that's that's a good comment. I fully enjoyed, uh, I would say, most of this epic. I was put off from reading this epic for a long time simply because of the cover, actually. I didn't like this cover. And <laughs> this is just the designer in me, but the logo is not centered in on the cover. And that was so off-putting to me for some reason. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because it has this weird, like, you can tell where the corner box should go beside the logo. Mm. But usually the epic collections don't do that. They, they will... Sh- you know, put it to the side. I understand why they did it because Cannonball is crashing through that part of the logo as he does in the original cover. Mm-hmm. But they could have played with it a little bit more, something to make the the logo bigger to stretch across the page. So it just looked off putting to me. So I never bothered to 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 read it. Uh, <laughs> what about you? Did you guys enjoy this volume? Or I guess um, we're all, Jared. You're only talking about the first little yeah. bit. So did you enjoy the miniseries? Right, right. Yeah, I I, I did enjoy the miniseries. Um... And the couple issues of of New Mutants that tied into it, so you know it's it's pretty fun. I don't think I've read the entire like all the rest of New Mutants Beyond Inferno, so I can't really comment on that. But <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it's it's good. It's fun. My my main complaint is uh, that 
well, obviously, if you're reading that in sequential order, that's fine. But if you read that following the publishing order, you feel like you enter halfway through a movie or something in that vein, So, which is a bit strange. Uh, and obviously, we would get to that uh, starting with the miniseries, which ties but is not the core book. Uh, your reading is a bit it's a bit complicated as you start, but uh, otherwise it's obviously a, a very good era of the of the new mutants. There's some great art in there, and Louis Simonson obviously knows uh, the character very well. So yeah, it's a good volume. Nice. Yeah. So I asked on Twitter. I created a Twitter poll that said the Exterminators miniseries is in the New Mutants epic collection, but it stars X Factor characters. Is this the best spot for it? And my options were yes, because of Inferno, um, and also because some of the characters move to New Mutants after this, or no, it should be an X Factor. Um, another option was it should be in both, and then my last option is it sucks. Skip it. <laughs> so I got um, I got forty votes on this. Seven percent of you said that it sucks. Skip it. Twenty percent said that it should be in both. Twenty eight percent said that it should be an X factor. But the majority of the people said forty five percent said that yes, it should be here in this New Mutants volume. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that because this is sort of the the transition of these characters, you know, basically leaving X Factor and becoming new mutants, you know, and it doesn't really have much to do with X Factor going forward. Uh, I don't think <laughs> some of these characters they I don't believe they uh, appear in x-factor again until like the the extinction agenda crossover you know with new mutants mm -hmm. but yeah so now is there i haven't read the x-factor issues that correspond with this is there an, an issue where x-factor says goodbye to these characters because if you're reading the x-factor epic collections or just the x-factor series these characters just disappear at some point right it's been a long time since i've read those issues and i don't remember offhand okay so well actually i just bought a french inferno uh trade paperback this morning and uh, i didn't have a really good chance to give it a look but i i really doubt that they there's a moment with the exterminator there because it starts really with uh they get really busy with the, the madeline prior thing and uh so for me, it re and it really doesn't tie with the X Factor stories because that I remember very well. I have absolutely very limited connection uh, with what's happening in the Exterminator miniseries. Right, yeah, yeah, they're right. on the different sides of the Inferno thing because the, the X Factor doesn't really deal with the whole demon invasion like Exterminators do. But I just mm. wanted to know if there was closure in the X Factor book because as far Let as... Let me go and get the book and I'll tell you in a minute. Okay, sure. Um, one thing we didn't mention is that I like the fact that it, the miniseries is called Exterminators, which is the term that X-Factor went by when they were, were pretending to be a, a mutant hunter group at the beginning of X-Factor. And they had, by right. this point, had stopped using that name, and now the X-Factor kids are taking up that name. So I think that's kind of a cool use of that name. Yeah, yeah, I think that is yeah, a nice callback. <laughs> so I'm just taking X-Factor 36 and it gets going immediately, and there's no mention of the exterminator there. So I don't have issue 35 very quickly, but uh, no, they're not mentioned, because when, when issue 36 of X-Factor starts, uh, Inferno is already in place. So 
no mention of the ex uh, exterminator there. Mm, okay. Well, too bad for them, I guess. Um, hopefully they'll <laughs> figure that out. I guess when they get together for the big X-Men barbecue, they'll see, oh, that's where you guys are. <laughs> Glad you found a home. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, okay, so why don't we move over to the issues and talk about Exterminators number one. I'll give a little brief recap for this one. Yeah, the X-Factor kids are split up. Rusty goes to jail. Artie and Leech go to um, a school for people, for kids who ha have uh, some reading difficulties. And uh, the other three go to a boarding school. And, but then Artie and Leech are kidnapped by demons. And this new kid, Takashi, uh, he rounds up the rest of the team to go and save them. Uh, Takashi or Takashi I'm not exactly sure how you'd pronounce it I think it's probably Takashi Takashi he, he's a new character that we meet for the first time and he is in a wheelchair and he, he had I think he struggles with depression it seems he's very closed off um, he got he was in a car accident which is why he can't use his legs anymore I like the fact that we have um, a representation of a, of a person with a disability uh, of course Professor X is famously like that but we have this this new kid who has this uh, who has this disability, but that doesn't stop him because he's got some abilities and he's determined to save the rest of the team. His abilities are that he can create any technology out of scraps, basically. Um, I don't. I'm sure the science doesn't back this up, but this is a comic book, so that's fine. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so yeah. it's it has a very power pack feel because of Louis Simonson's writing and the fact that we're dealing with a whole bunch of kids. So it's a little lighter, mm -hmm. a little bit more whimsical. That feeling doesn't last through this whole mini series, but that's how we start off. So it's kind of cool. So I have to say, uh, out of all the the Exterminator kids, Artie and Leech are definitely my favorite, and I think this is the issue where they have the uh, most to do. And the farewell to to Rusty, you know, as Rusty's going to prison, you know, with Artie, his little uh, vision type thing, you know, saying goodbye. It's I don't know. It's it's it, I think it's very sweet. <laughs> well, for me, the, the the main thing of the book is the art, because I'm a, a, a big fan of uh, artist John Bogdanovi. That's how you pronounce it. Uh, no, it's John Bogdanov. Okay, because I well, I, I would pronounce it the French way, so it would sound Bogdanov. <laughs> so it's a bit, it's a bit different. Uh, well, I, I was a big fan of his work on on uh, Man of Steel, uh, the book he was doing in the late eighties, early nineties with Louis Simonson again, and I think he does a, a fantastic job on the on the miniseries overall. But this issue, especially, I think there are some great caricature moments when Rusty and, and Boom Boom get to that boarding school and when you see all the funny faces of the rich kid who, who make also slightly racist comments regarding mutants. <laughs> yep. So I think there's a lot of, even a sort of mad kind of vibe, you know, uh, sort of Mort Drucker approach to his drawing for those people specifically. Uh, and I think he does a fantastic job. Yeah, he's great. Uh, if you have been listening to the podcast for a long time, you will have uh, hopefully heard an interview that I did with John Bogdanov um, about Power Pack and about uh, his work on uh, the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries. I think that was, yeah, that was yep. So my favorite part of, the, of his artwork is actually the first few pages that are inked by Al Williams. Williamson. Yeah. 
and they are just fantastic with the demons. There's a small battle between Sim and Naster, and there's a graveyard scene, and Al Williams just has such a great style, a great sense of shading and uh, and detail that the other Al, Al Milgram, doesn't doesn't have for the rest of the issue or the rest of the miniseries. It's I would have loved to see Al Williams stay on the whole thing, but uh, that's not unfortunately not the case. Well, that would have been very complicated for him because at the time he was also doing New Mutants and just started Daredevil with John Romita Jr. But you know what, Al Williamson is, or sorry, Al Milgram is known for fun. doing like everything all the time. So, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, no, Al Williamson, yeah, I mean, he, he his artwork was so detailed. I'm sure it took him quite a while to, to get through stuff, but mm. he's super good. Mm. Uh, did you notice in the cemetery there is a headstone that said Rip Redrick Wortham? <laughs> Do you know who that is? <laughs> uh, I, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't check <laughs> For those of you not who uh, don't know who are uh, who are listening here, Frederick Wortham wrote the book Seduction of the Innocent, which is the famous book that blasted comics for being terrible for children and condemned them, uh, causing people to b- burn them and all that kind of stuff. And that was the reason sort of why the comic code was created and put in place. So rip Frederick Wortham. <laughs> I love it. I thought that and, was great. And by the way, in the panel just before that one, there is a guy reading Tales from the Crypt, yes. which was also in book of uh Wertham's books yeah right yeah and and that uh tales of the crypt and and i guess all of ec comics was destroyed because of wortham <laughs> right basically mm. yeah uh, also they mentioned that because obviously wortham is the reason why they put the the, the comics code authority in the first place and uh Obviously, demons and ghouls and a story such as Inferno wouldn't have been possible back in the in the 60s. And uh, it, it's really obvious that in the mid-80s, they had really softened the code and uh, and they were pushing the limit with a lot of things, including Inferno, obviously. That's actually a great comment. I didn't put that connection, make that connection, but you're right. This story dealing with demons and essentially hell, they don't call it hell, but it's hell, um, and magic spells and all this kind of stuff definitely wouldn't have been something that they would have shown uh, in comics in the 60s. But here we are. We have a huge, a huge storyline that crosses over all of, pretty much all of the Marvel Universe uh, that deals with just that. So actually that little thing is very appropriate. <laughs> That's very cool. Interesting. Um, one comment regarding the Takashi character. I, I, I like the way he evolved, uh, evolved in issue one. And he acts a bit uh, like uh, like a jerk at the beginning, at the beginning with Archie and Leech, and then uh, he starts doing stuff with them, and then at the end, it feels like you know, like kids are bonding along the way, and uh, and I think it's very well written, and also I think that Louis Simonson is writing the the Archie and Leech relationship in a perfect way, the way they need to be together and how they need one another. It's uh, it's very touching, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a relationship that has lasted to this very day. Unless those characters mm-hmm. are dead, I don't know where they are currently in X stories. But <laughs> like through the '90s, and oh no, they're with the Future Foundation, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're still alive. I think so. Yeah, they're currently still yeah. with the Future Foundation. Mm-hmm. So they they and they're together. They've stayed a pair um, all of this time. Yeah. Well, why don't we move on to issue number two? So the demons have uh, abducted Artie and Leech, and the plan is to kidnap 13 children to create a sort of pentagram to invade Earth 
from from Limbo. Uh, so Boom Boom, Rick and Rusty and Skid are gathered together by Takeshi, who uh, rescues them uh, one after another, and they get all to New York following the uh, abducted kids and um, at the end of the issue after what I would say a lot of filler in my opinion uh, <laughs> Taki gets abducted and finally uh, rejoins uh, Artie and Leech which is really the, a quick summary of the issue mm -hmm. but that's perfect it's all we need because like you yeah. said there is quite a bit of filler here right <laughs> So I was confused about about Naster. Naster is the the biggest demon, the kind of one that kind of has a horse face. And what what the plan is here? So I, for most of this mini series, I thought that thirteen infants in the pentagram were to open a portal to Earth. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the fourth issue of this mini series, because I was confused. Because once we get talking about the about um, the new mutants issue, Naster seems to want to use Ilyana and her powers to open a portal. And I'm like, well, isn't that what he's doing with the, the babies and that's it yeah yeah that was the point so maybe there's a connection between the two or one should be you know like the two parts of the you know both are needed to 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 to, to make the connection i don't know but it's really confusing it's very confusing but i did figure it out by the end of the series um iliana is used because she creates the portals between limbo and earth so she is actually the one who is going to open the portal and the spell that naster is creating using the babies is to hold open the portal to keep it from closing again Right. right, and then the yeah, the, yeah. the way that that Madeline Pryor fits in is she makes a deal with Naster. I I can't remember. I don't think it's said in this miniseries, but um, Naster says, "I'll get you your baby back if you can create a permanent bridge from uh, Limbo to Earth using the portal that's opening here. So if you can create that permanent bridge, then we will never we won't have to worry about um, having to create another portal ever again." So there's a lot going on at play, kind of in many different, um, <laughs> many different storylines here. But that's that's where we're at. We're kidnapping the thirteen babies in order to hold open the portal that's going to be opened in a little bit. Right. Um, I like how Inferno unfolds during these early issues, and it's like the demons are starting. The I guess Naster has the ability to do small teleportations. I guess because mm -hmm. he does come, um, or maybe it's he's sent by Sim who's ruler of Limbo. And so Sim yeah, can open up the portals. I, I'm just looking at the page where he gets to it. No, he opens the portal. Who does? Nestor? Yeah, Nestor. Okay. Uh, Nestor, yeah, Nestor opens the portal, then he must need just more power in order to open it wider in order for all the demons mm. to come through. But I really like how the whole story unfolds. It reminds me of Ant-Man coming out of, in, in Endgame, coming out of the van, and he like he's walking through the city, and he's like, something is not right here. What's going on? And it kind of slowly unfolds mm. like a zombie <laughs> movie or something like that. So I like how that is just kind of slowly building, building here. Yeah, just weird things happening <laughs> just sort of like off off to the side a little bit like in this issue yeah where the uh the telephone like makes a face at, at uh Takeshi yeah it's just the beginning of uh of the whole problem because uh, actually I think it must be only that there must be only four or five demons that have made the trip to to us so it's not like the whole invasion that we would see in the, in the upcoming issues Right, right, yeah. There's yeah, just a handful, and the you know they're at mausoleum in the cemetery. You know they're not in limbo right now. They're on Earth. 
I find that the characters are not totally well developed at this point. When they're all together, especially in the scene where they're they're doing some clothes shopping, mm-hmm. Boom Boom and Skids they they could be interchangeable characters. Mm-hmm. They both kind of talk the same. They they're not they're not unique except for the way that they dress. Yeah, and and they're both blonde. <laughs> right. Well, and as the series progresses, they become more. Uh, I feel like Simonson gets a hold of Boom Boom especially and makes her a little bit more spunky and realizes mm-hmm. Skids insecurities and starts to play off that but at this point they they're kind of written the same mm-hmm. so this shopping bit is really what i felt was takes the longest time and uh, that it, it takes them a lot of time to to get from uh rescuing the four of them to get to new york and uh, there is this episode where they try to get a quarter from the pepsi machine and then they get uh, for for they, they go shopping for clothes and uh, and stuff it, it, it's a bit strange because when you you get the the, the next two issues which are much more jam-packed it, it feels like there's quite a bit of filler in there yeah but it establishes it's also there to establish the characters that you may not really know uh so uh, you can see the differences. And what is funny is that, for instance, for Richter, he gets his costume that you will see uh, much more in the future. So it defines them uh, at least visually. That's right. true. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seems like they're, uh, these guys are not really in a hurry to go rescue Artie and Leech for, for most of this issue. You know, like playing around, getting the the quarters and the clothes and all that. Yeah, that's true. They they spent a lot of time wasting time trying on different outfits. It's like, guys, just grab something as a disguise. You need to hurry. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah but, but but it's also true to the characters because they are kids, and you know they can get distracted easily. So I guess so. Yeah. It, it, it sort of it sort of makes sense in a funny way seeing how teenagers sometimes behave or my 11-year-old kid. Yeah, could be. Yeah, Could yep. make sense. That's true. And I think Boom Boom has that line like, we don't have to grab the first thing on the rack. I mean, it'll take as much time to put on great clothes as crummy ones. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I don't it'll know, take but... a longer to decide which good clothes to put on. <laughs> that That's true, but <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of make, makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. But... <laughs> Yeah, another thing that kind of is kind of funny when Takeshi's, you know, talking about he's got a uh, his computer, you know, his problems with writing, but the his computer helps and it even has a spelling a spelling checker, and then the the demons yeah. like it, it checks spells. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, and that's very funny. That's a, it's it's humorous, but it's a pivotal thing because that miscommunication oh, is what sets all of this forward and sets everything into motion very very interesting right right yep. yeah well let's go on to yeah. exterminators number three the the demons take takeshi to nestor to tell him about his his uh spell checker <laughs> <laughs> and so nestor gets takeshi to build a computer that will you know control the spells and meanwhile, the 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 other exterminators are trying to still trying to f- find them, and then they do find the uh, the mausoleum at the end, but they are captured by the demons. But the the computer is built, and the thirteen babies are being used at the end. It holds the the portal opens at the very end of the issue. Yeah. 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 
So one thing I really like about uh, John Bogdano's artwork in this one is that he is a very um, straight, boxy guy. Like his his panel layouts are very straight. He doesn't use a lot of curved lines or or panels at an angle or anything like that. Um, until the very end, when Naster's plan comes to fruition and the portal starts to open, all of a sudden his panels are sideways and the lines are askew to kind of show that something's not right, that things are kind of going a little crazy. So it's just little details like that, I think, make him a, a really good storyteller uh, through the comic medium. Yeah. I really like in this issue that uh, the, the, the infernal craziness is really starting, you know, with the subway scenes and uh, the statues getting alive and uh, uh, the, the cemetery scene as well. So it really feels like it's a different time in the, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Curtis, that it was building and now it's almost there uh, and it's becoming more and more dangerous and less and less fun. Yeah. It, yeah. It, the the last half of this this issue especially just the speed ramps up and the excitement ramps up. It's a uh, it becomes really 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 neat and exciting. Um Takashi's plan, I thought I was sure that he wasn't going to go through with it. That he was building a computer that would like blow up or backfire or something like that. Um because he was just stalling, which I thought he was really really great at stalling. <laughs> I thought he was just stalling in time for the exterminators to get there, and then when Naster would turn on the computer, it wouldn't work or it would do some sort of damage. But he actually built the computer to what it was supposed to do. So that was a, a twist, I thought. Yeah, it was great. You know, his his stalling techniques, just saying like, "Oh, I need all this health food," and <laughs> yeah, mm. he's really good at <laughs> negotiating. <laughs> right, right. And that, that kind of stuff, too, kept the book light as it has mm-hmm. been in the last couple of issues um, because it's about to get really, really heavy. And uh, and it was nice to still kind of be playful with that there. Yeah. But I noticed in the, t- in the scenes with Times Square, John Bogdanov draws a lot of, like, adult books, bookstores and that kind of stuff, um, adult movie houses into Times Square. It's like Times Square is full of all of these XXX stores. And I'm like, yeah. really? That's why, why is it like that? I had... I had to look up. I've been to Times Square, but it wasn't it's only been in the last 20 years. Apparently, Times Square in the 80s was actually a pretty nasty place. Oh, right. Yeah. It was because I think it's around the corner of the year 2000 because that's when I went to New York and it was completely safe around 2000, but uh, before that, it was a really nasty place. Yeah, yeah, and the mayor, whoever, I can't remember who the mayor was. Um, Giuliani, Rodolfo yeah. Giuliani. Right, yeah, he's yep. a very famous New York mayor who cleaned up a lot of New York and made Times Square into the, the place that it is now. So it was, it it's interesting that we get that snapshot of the era here in the artwork in this book. Right, yeah. <laughs> Um, also, those those references wouldn't have been allowed in the comic code way back when as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Smatorama wouldn't have been Smatorama. allowed, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Interestingly, though, Brett Blevins, who does the, the New Mutants issue here, he doesn't include any of that stuff when he draws Times Square. He just leaves that, that right out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I love the library scene in this issue, and it totally reminded me of the Ghostbusters scene in the library. And then they say, this, what is this, <laughs> Ghostbusters? <laughs> so it's like they were thinking the same thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters would have been hugely popular at this point. So there's definitely a lot of influence in Ghost- with Ghostbusters here. Right, 
yeah, it would have been yeah, Ghostbusters two would have not been out yet <laughs> when yep. this no, came out. Yeah. Right. And then uh, right after that, uh, you know, when it goes back to the cemetery, just looking at the, you know, the two cops going through the cemetery and comparing that to the first issue, you know, with the the different anchor, it's like it's very different. (laughs) Yeah, you can really see the difference there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, looking at them next to each other, it's like, oh, I I also wish uh, Al Williamson stayed on, but... (laughs) the whole time but you know it is what yeah, it is the, the, the ink the, the, the inking is almost too clean in fact and uh, honestly i'm looking at it on a digital edition i don't have a paper version i have a digital edition and really there is one page uh with the the, the face of tacky and it almost looks like it's drawn by alan davis and inked by uh, mark farmers you know this kind of very clean looking uh art and yes if it had been a ball more muddy, uh, like the first few pages, maybe it would have served the, the story better. Yeah, I'd agree with yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, should we move on to New Mutants number 71? Yeah, fine. Okay. So the issue starts with the New Mutants appearing in limbo out of the fight with Spider, and it appears that it's a trap by Sim to fight Eliana. So in the middle of the fight, uh, Eliana and the New Mutants escape, and we get a very dark chapter in the middle of the story with the retelling where Eliana returns uh, the teams, the, the, the magic miniseries, uh, and what happened when she was, she spent six uh, or seven years in limbo, uh, which is really a dark moment into uh, a jam-packed issue. Then towards the end, uh, Naster makes proposes a deal to Eliana and to give her back the... the the soul sword that Sim had stolen from her as he took over Limbo. The deal is that she would get the sword back as she embraces her more de- uh, demon-ish part, which she accepts uh, to be able to teleport back the team to New York. Uh, because obviously, and I forgot to mention that, they are stuck in Limbo. They cannot get out of Limbo because of uh, what Sim has done. And in the end, so she takes the deal and opens the portal to get back to Earth. And as they get back to Earth, they cannot close the the gate and uh, all the demons are allowed or free to to get out of limbo and invade New York. Louis Simonson is just amazing, I think, because the the plot here is so tight. Um, and especially since the events of this issue are happening ag- at exactly the same time as the events in Exterminators number three, and all of the threads come together, uh, and just the way that she's set things up, where the, you know the team's trapped, and so they have to find a way to get out of limbo. And in, when they do get out of limbo, like that's actually part of the plan to get the demons to to Earth, and and it's just a uh, it's just a, such a really tightly woven story and really well put together. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's actually a key issue when you read Inferno and all the tie-ins because there were a gazillion of them. And if you read all the tie-ins, I mean in Amazing Spider-Man or in Daredevil or whatnot, and you see all those demons, uh, and there's only a footnote that says uh, all this is happening because of the Inferno current crossover. And actually, it's all about what is happening here, and it's this portal which allows the whole thing to take place. So it's really a key issue also for that. 
Yeah, when I first read this, I didn't realize that Exterminators is like the linchpin for the entire Inferno crossover, um, <laughs> along with this issue right, right here. I didn't realize that it was so important and integral to this storyline. I thought it was just like, a, mm -hmm. let's tell a fun story with these kids. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but let, let's tell a fun story with these kids that will affect the entire Marvel universe. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Let's talk about this flashback scene. It's, it's not technically a flashback scene because there's no time in Limbo. Limbo is all time, every all the time. So they managed to just teleport to a point where Ileana is still young. And man, you it just goes into darker places than even the miniseries goes. I feel like we get a better sense of the, the torture that happened to her during her time in childhood than we did when we read the, the Magic Limited series. I agree. Uh, and I think that the way Brad Blevins draws Iliana as she explains the, what happened, uh, what happened there is really, uh, really twisted as well. There is one panel of Iliana when she's all, uh, her face is dark and uh, red eyes and you only see her um, uh, blonde hair. Yeah. Um, it's suddenly you realize that there's a lot more darkness in her that you may have seen before. It's, uh, it's really a twisted character. That panel's on page 100 in the Epic Collection. Mm. Yeah, and to find out that like she's she was beaten nearly to death on a regular basis by Sim, like that that's really really dark stuff. Yeah, and then Naster came to save her. Naster has been part, sort of part of Ileana's life uh, behind the scenes this entire time. That's definitely a retcon, but uh, for the sake of the story, um, yeah, it's it's just it's it's dark. I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. Yeah. Uh, and I really like also the the way the new mutants react. I mean, obviously Rain, who's a, she's a very special character for that because she has a lot of empathy. Yeah. But the the way they 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 really share the pain and uh, they 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 never judge her, of course, for being who she is now. And they completely understand because initially when they say, well, uh, when Indiana uh, is talking about the fact that uh, Kitty died here and uh, Storm died here, they, they are a bit like, are you insane? Because they are, uh, uh, they died much later. Because So they, they get a bit confused and uh, when they see the evidence of what happened to Colossus and so on, they never judge Indiana. They just share her pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they are a really great team. Um, th th there's a bit of uh, of the ongoing stuff uh, also because there are three pages with Magneto and uh, the Empire Club inner circle. There's not much plot uh, moving on here, but uh, just showcasing how the the Empire State Building is growing and uh, getting more and more uh, demonish or evil looking, and that we see a first few glimpses of uh, the machine becoming crazy and uh, and there is this um, machine eating the eye of, uh, of a tourist uh, Man, and things like that scene. so it's yeah yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That, that's a funny non-funny scene yes and the scene with the elevator where the people get on the elevator to go down and it just oh yeah it, yeah 
and the blood pouring out of the, the bottom there. It's like, wow, this is pretty graphic for a 1980s Marvel comic. Yeah. But Magneto's story will be uh, further developed in an issue coming up a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, I When I read this, I wondered if this whole flashback scene putting Naster in Ileana's past, I wondered, I wondered if that was actually real or if it was an illusion, something that Naster or Sim is trying to, to create in order to get Ileana to you know to 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 react to it in a certain way um, because you never you can't trust anything in limbo you can't trust the the people there or anything that you see because it's it all could be a lie something to deceive you mm-hmm. right but I think later on it's revealed that yeah Naster himself confirms that yeah he was there well he could be lying <laughs> that's true that could be true too right but <laughs> yeah I mean if you can't trust a demon who can you trust <laughs> <laughs> right right. <laughs> Well, shall we go on to our finale here, issue number four? Sure. The issue is titled Finale. (laughs) Yeah, even though the uh, Inferno storyline goes on uh, a little bit longer than this issue, but... (laughs) Yeah. So, basically, the the portal's open, demons are pouring through, as as well as, you know, the new mutants come into New York. Basically, it's the, the entire issue is a big fight, with the exterminators trying to destroy the computer and they team up with the, the new mutants. And then finally at the end, the uh, Takeshi does destroy the computer that he, he built, which uh, closes the portal. And I'm not entirely sure if, if Nestor dies at this point or, or not, but he has stopped, but you know, there's still all kinds of demons roaming around and, but all of the exterminators are, you know, safe at the end, and and the thirteen babies are all uh, rescued by the new mutants. What's really surprising here is that uh, it's it really it's really a, a tie-in, and uh, Inferno obviously continues uh, along the way. And I think Nestor is, is in the uh, in the last. Uh, issues of X Factor or X Men, I can't remember. I think he's around, so I, I, I'm not sure if he dies. Oh no, yeah, and N- Nestor's still around, still. Yep, we have mm-hmm. we haven't yeah. seen the last of this character. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, even though he does explode. <laughs> but... Yeah, well, but we'll see him in the next issue of New. Oh no, the next issue of New Mutants takes place along the same same time mm-hmm. as this issue is being told. So we do see him later in this book, but. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where his where his story goes, but yeah, th- this was a this was a, a really really fast action paced uh, story. I was surprised at the the level of drama. Like the stakes are really really high, especially with everything that happens with uh, Takashi. He he really just ultimately sacrifices his life in order to save save everybody. And there's a, the scene where his his wheelchair is gone and he has to pull himself along the ground because his legs don't work. And in order to to beat Naster to the computer uh, and and push the keys that he that it'll take to blow up and it's like this this is just so much so much um I, I don't know heavy heavy drama going on here it, it, and action it's wonderful yeah I really wasn't expecting it because we began the series with you know the kids at the mall trying to figure out what they want to wear and then it goes here <laughs> <laughs> right sure. right I really love yeah. the the two page spread so it's page two and three of the issue. I, I think it's it has a sort of Walt Simonson vibe to it. 
uh, which I've seen glimpses uh, around the book from time to time. But this one, I think, definitely has a, a Simonson vibe. And I really like the fact that the demon is trying to eat the page. So there's a, a, it feels like the demons are attacking you and they are really, even you, you are in danger of what's happening. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's a what is it on the, the the next page page after that two page spread is a full bleed page, which is completely unusual for comics in the '80s to have a full bleed page. So there, that's that's a something special there. Mm. Right. Yeah. Because the the demon on the previous page ate the border. Right. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great art uh, all along. I mean, the fight, you, you can see how much uh, John Bogdanov gives a lot of power to his character. I mean, the, the brawl between Nestor and, uh, and Sim is, uh, is quite a tough one. And there's one thing where they are fighting each other. It's, it's really nasty. And, uh, and at the same time, it's very, it's very fun because, the, you know, the multiple planes that the kids are, that uh, Takashi is creating, it's very kids-like. It's definitely something with uh, a kid with imagination would do. So you get this very brutal-looking thing, and at the same time, it gets very, very fun and imaginative at the same time. Yeah, I love it when it, it breaks apart and everybody can fly on their own and stuff. Um, they, there's a mm. very 80s reference when they're talking about how how do you fly this thing? It's like it's just like a joystick when you play video games. It's like mm. jo- 80s joysticks are something that just mm. doesn't exist now. I mean, PlayStation controllers and such do have joysticks, but they're the tiny ones you move with your thumb, not the the huge yeah. ones that that look like actual you know airplane control sticks. Right. And then later when they're like, how do you how do you shoot this? thing and and i think only skids finds the button to 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 fire the, the airplane gun so it really shows the way how the the, the story has been had been building and uh, as you said with the kids picking clothes to issues before and now we have this very brutal and uh, and dark ending with you know two demons tied in machinery fighting one another the big explosion and so on so it's really uh, a great pacing in the story and it's building and building and building to to a great finale and uh, and at the same time they they still manage to get a bit of characterization along the way yeah it's very well written age stuff my opinion. Yes, definitely. Ileana disappears halfway through this issue. Uh, There's a point where you just don't see her anymore, and her story is continued in um, New Mutants number 72. Um, But she is not around for the finale of of this issue where everybody kind of gets together and and defeats the, or like closes the portal. But I love this moment at the end where they all realize that they kind of, they've accomplished what they needed to do and the two teams have sort of become one. And so this... (laughs) leads us into the into the next several issues of new mutants because they no longer act as two teams they act completely as one team they are they're now just the new mutants and this this is the beginning of uh, of the new developments uh, the new evolution of this of the new mutants team and that kind of brings us to the end does anyone have anything else they want to say about this issue here do you think that the the exterminators as a team could have sustained uh, their own own title for a while or do you think it's good that they were folded into the new mutants 
Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think that, uh, yeah. yeah, I think they probably could have kept it going because you've got a really good mix of characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, if, if there were to be a, a book about the exterminators, obviously the, the, the character development would have been more important than in a miniseries. But funnily, that's how they did a lot of miniseries back in the 80s, uh, just getting characters together and then launching them sometimes in a, in a different book and uh, having them involved in a different series afterwards. Uh, I remember there were quite a lot of, of them in the 80s, uh, and that's how they served as a sort of introduction to those new characters, and not necessarily for a new series afterwards. Yeah. Right. You know, like like Hawkeye and Mockingbird, the the, the the miniseries led to the West Coast Avengers. You know, things like that. So that's how they started to create and to to have uh, character development or giving the spotlights to a few characters. If Exterminators were to have carried on to their own um, their own series, they would have had to figure out how to tie up the loose ends of them being fugitives. Because, uh, mm. you know, Rusty right. is actually, they broke Rusty out of jail, which is a very, very bad thing to do. So they, they'd have to figure out how to, <laughs> right. to tie up that. Otherwise, they would be a team that is constantly on the run always, which I guess could be a good story also, but uh, mm-hmm. eventually they'd have to, to tie that up. Right. Whereas these ones, they have, they meet up with X Factor and they because they I mean I guess they kind of do that here as well later on but well I think at this point we can say farewell to Jared thank you Jared for, for being on the show for this portion um, and talking yep. about the conclusion to the these X Factor storylines yeah yeah no problem but in the meantime Frank and I will continue on with the rest of the issues in this book here so issue 72 called Demon Rain with a team of Louis Simonson, Brett Levins, and Al Williamson uh, to take you through this prequel to, to Inferno. Um, so we saw in th- this issue, it's very important to see that this issue is really a kind of mirror issue to Exterminators 4. So a large chunk of this issue is dedicated to uh, following sort of the same events that we that we read recently in Exterminators Falls, but in a different setup, in a different perspective. But definitely it, uh, it ties in that fourth issue and takes place needs to be read at the same time. Um, so at the beginning of the issue, the New Mutants are back from Limbo, where they were before and there was a big fight between Demons, Sim, Naster, and uh, Magic, Diana Rasputin. Idiana opened the gate and led the way to literally thousands of demons uh, to attack Earth. And now Idiana has become a fully demonic person and she gets into a big fight between the other two demons, Sim and Naster. So the, the, very quickly, the two the, the teams is separated uh, from Idiana. So they get into the rescue operation that takes place in Exterminator 4. And, uh, and Idiana travels through uh, several areas of New York, leading her to try to use a sword and shed blood uh, and get fully into, uh, become a completely demonic creature. So at the end of the episode, after a series of very funny and dramatic at the same time moments, there is a final confrontation between Idiana and um, 
and Nestor, and um, she changes her appearance again and becomes uh, wears her full demonic armor, defeated by by Nestor and uh, with the other demon seem waiting in the shadows to maybe finish and kill her. Wow, uh, that 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 those are plot heavy issues, and all of them, most of those issues are very plot heavy. But I I really think that Louis Simonson does a great job, and I would say that for I think for every issue that we would be reading here, she does a great job trying to a summarize what is going on, what is the situation, and along the way try to bring back some of the elements that we saw before and try to explain them into the story without being too heavy and that's one of the very good points of this uh, of these issues for me as louise simonson was an editor before she knows that she has to uh, take into consideration very well what has happened before and that's what she does i think in every issue up to 76 and that makes them very readable, even though they are very plot-heavy. I don't know how you feel about it. Oh, I agree completely. I think that the the hard part about these crossovers is that, especially here in the 80s, when the crossovers were just becoming a thing, and you didn't necessarily have access to you know, a comic shop that would have all of the issues ready for you to go, the writers had to be very, very careful about, like you said, explaining what's going on uh, and so in this instance, I think it is an absolutely brilliant move to have half of this issue basically tell us what happened in in Exterminators 4, but from a different perspective. So it's not like we have a time jump, which is often the case. Often the case there is just, you know, you read one issue and then you read the next and a whole bunch of stuff has happened in the middle and they plop you into the middle of the action after whatever the other tie-in issue is that you haven't read. But this one doesn't do that. It tells the parallel story just from the different point of view. And that's how we get caught up to speed. So it's it's really, really effective. I like it a lot. And I think there's a huge benefit to having Louise Simonson writing both the Exterminators miniseries and this one as well. And mm-hmm. and her husband, Walter Simonson, is writing X-Factor. So I'm sure that they are... <laughs> <laughs> they're probably working pretty close together just to make sure that they're all on the same page too. Like it's it's such a good setup and, it, and everything ties yeah. together so well, even if you're not reading all of the parts. And there are many small things which are explained along the way, like why do, do those demons have this kind of techno virus uh, that has changed them? Why is it important and so on? So all that works very well. And I think that it's changing the topic. I think it's one of the best Brett Blevins issues in the collection mm. because I think that I have one minor complaint on one one topic is that I think that magic is drawn in a very sexualized way with some weird poses most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but except for that, uh, it's fireworks. Once again, we, we discussed when we did the, the, the long time ago, the podcast, that uh, we both enjoyed the way he draws the new mutants, not as mini adults, but as that looks like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here it shows very well. And I think that the, the, the scenes where uh, Idiana is going into Hell's Kitchen and different locations in New York is extremely fun. It's very goofy looking. Even though the situation is very, uh, very serious, uh, he manages to to play with the, the the craziness that Inferno can bring, and not making it sometimes 
I had issues with uh, with Inferno because I felt it was very it was too dark. And here it's not really the case. It's out there, serious, but there are there is some very good funny scenes and funny moments, uh, like when the, the the nun and the priest are dancing in the in the hell's kitchen cafe and and so on with the the spoon and the and the pot uh, running on the table. So those are very <laughs> yeah. funny things, goofy things, yep. while we are in a very serious context. And I think that um, it's important to look at the the cultural landscape at this time. Uh, if you go to page number 162, uh, Ileana gets caught by this barber chair. It wraps around her. This mm-hmm. totally reminds me of Cherry from Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse, mm-hmm. uh, which was a huge popular show at this time. And also really popular was Ghostbusters uh, because of the movies, mm-hmm. the, cart- the TV show, and the treatment that they're giving all of these demons here is a very Ghostbusters feel, uh, especially the cartoon where, it, because it was a kid's cartoon, they treated the ghosts more more humorous. And you got that in the movies as well. But mm. but I think especially, I think that a lot of this this setup here with the funny, the, 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 with the comedy beats really owes a lot to, to stuff like Ghostbusters and Pee-wee's Playhouse, which were so big at the time. Uh, also, mm-hmm. if you remember the Excalibur tie-in issues were also mm-hmm. just this goofy as well. Like they fit really well with what Alan Davis was doing, with Chris Claremont and Alan Davis were doing there. And um, I read the the Daredevil story mm. uh, of Inferno in whatever that epic collection is called. Um, Heart, of, of, Heart of Darkness. Uh, or, yeah, Touch I of Typhoid. Yeah, that's Tifoid. right. And they do a lot of that kind of stuff, too. So all of the writers and all of the artists were on board with keeping it light in terms of uh, the, the, the demons terrorizing the city, because these books are still aimed for a younger audience. And while we have the serious, dark uh, plots that are happening in the pages of X-Men and, and with the main storyline here with the Dark Child, um, it's good to keep it light, to give a little bit of humor amidst that. I think that story-wise, you were talking about the fact that the main story was taking place in X-Men and X-Factor. Yet, there are some very important elements that take place in this book, which is very much a tie-in. Because the amount of demons arriving on Earth is tied to the fact that Iliana has opened this portal that she can't close. And oh, yeah. it would be the, the main topic of issue 73, which is also a tie-in. But it's not affecting the main story, which takes place once again in X-Factor and X Factor, but it has a very important and significant role to play. Yeah, in fact, I would say that this isn't even a tie-in. It is part of the main story. It's just that the stories are parallel to the X-Men mm. parts. Like, her her role here, and especially dealing with Naster, um, and the fact that they defeat all of the demons and close the portal and suck everybody back up again, like, that's that's so essential to the story that this is definitely a main, main chapter. Same with the Exterminators miniseries. Like, that... Uh... <laughs> For being a miniseries, it's actually very important as well. Yeah, that may be the cue to issue 73 then. In this issue, Magic, at the very end of this issue, Magic gets her full armor and she defeats Naster. And you think, like, they really, really build it up to, like, this is the final battle. This is where it's all leading to. And she does it. She Well, he doesn't really def- get defeated. He just kind of goes. But then she's faced with Sim. Just in this last panel, we get him in the shadow mm-hmm. here. And like this is even more important because while Naster was the one who held her in limbo when she was a child, Sim is the one who tortured her and abused her. Mm. And so we're going from... Uh, one big bad to an even worse big bad. And I think that's a, a really, really good setup for this finale in, in her story here. 
And that's, that leads us into issue number 73, The Gift, guest starring Colossus. Now, this is great. I'm glad. They, I mean, I think that mm. they, he had to be here because he hasn't experienced any of her journey as, a, as a teenager. He only still knows her as a little girl. And, mm. uh, and now, you know, we're coming to a head, so it's, it's appropriate that he's in the finale here to be a part of it. So Colossus arrives on the scene in New York to find Ilyana and finds her in her demon form and battles they battle Sim together and Skids Rusty and Moonstar protect the babies <laughs> I'm assuming yeah we talk about this in the in the pre-recorded part uh, they they uh, keep they protect the babies in a church while all the demons try and get at them and in the end here Ileana decides to kill her the child version of herself but uh, but then ends up just killing herself instead to close the portal and um, or not close the portal, but just to end, or is it to close the portal? Yeah, 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 yeah to close yeah, the portal. Yeah, closes the yeah. portal. Yeah, uh, yeah. To, to kill herself in order to, kill, to close the portal, and everybody thinks she dies, but it turns out that inside the shell of her body is like Colossus rips her open, and it's her little girl form as she was way back when, as if she had never gone through any of that. She doesn't even speak English; she only speaks Russian. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, the thing I really like here is that. You know, Ileana has been going through transformation after transformation. We've mm. seen her transform into the Dark Child. We've seen her transform with this this armor that, that covers her because of the sword. We get a final form here, or maybe a second to final form, because the final form is kind of her as a little child. But her yeah. her her ultimate form here is pure light, and it's the pure light energy that, um, in, in conjunction with the Soul Sword that is able to close the portal here. And so I like that analogy that her whole her whole journey has been building up to how she is the, you know, the queen of darkness basically. But her ultimate form happens to be light. It's a mm. it's a counterpoint and it's really kind of cool. Once again we we get some very interesting bits and pieces of information and Louis Simonson does that very well because for instance, they bring back young Yana from Limbo, yeah. which is something that was seen uh, in one page in issue 71. Also, they mentioned that they finally said, explain how Limbo works in terms of time. And they explained that it's an area out of time uh, where it's past, present and future. And you can jump from different moments, which kind of, in retrospect, may explain why sometimes they were traveling in time and sometimes not when they were uh, going through limbo to get to one location to another. You know, we discussed that yeah. uh, in the previous episodes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm waiting for my no prize for next week, please. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> you got it. It's in the mail. And, uh, okay. So that's how Rain picks up the, the, the child in the past and brings her into the, the, the present time. And that will be the solution and the, the road to uh, redemption also for, for Indiana. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the pure child that she was before being abused and uh, badly treated for seven years in limbo. Back to yet, being innocent. Yeah, and yet it is established that even though she's still a mutant, because her mutant power is to open those portals. Right. And I think it's explained in this issue or the issue before, or maybe it's in the follow one of the following ones. But so there is this, once again, it's very plot heavy and you have to take some time to read all the, 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 the speech balloons and stuff to to really get into it but it's definitely worthwhile so this issue is a double-sized issue and mm. that's important for two reasons one because like you said so plot heavy 
they need time and space to appropriately tell this story rather than cramming it into uh, into not enough room. But then at the same time, this allows for some incredible artwork on Brett Blevins part uh, because he mm-hmm. has room to do pages with large panels. And so he, especially once we get into the fight with Colossus and Sim, mm-hmm. uh, there is just some really, really great stuff. He, he just goes all out. I really like the way he draws the shine on Colossus, makes him look really good. I really like the, the, the splash page also with Warlock uh, and, uh, and the, the new mutant slash exterminators team where they are traveling on Warlock's back. Yes. It's a very different kind of thing, scenes that you would see drawn by Bill Sinkiewicz. Or, but it's weird. It's extremely well done, and I really like the way that how the road yeah, is moving. Totally. And this brings your eye towards the center of the of the page. Yes. Very well done. Yeah. So so well done. The curvature of all the buildings and everything. Yeah. It all mm. works together really well. He's great at this demon world as well. I can't imagine how hard it is to to have to draw panels where there are, you know, dozens of different looking demons and like having to come up with a different look for all of them all the time. Like that's that takes time. And once we get into the the fight near the end with Ilyana turning into light, um all of these panels are really tall, skinny vertical panels. Uh, mm-hmm. Because we're talking about a shaft of light that's going to go from the sky, driving the demons mm-hmm. back down into the ground. And so since the action takes place up and down, all of these panels are taking place up and down as well. And it just is, yeah. it's really, really effective. And it's only for that scene that we get those vertical panels. And then it goes back to, you know, the square, shorter rectangle panels. Um, mm. Yeah. And... Blevins also does a really, really great job with the emotion at the end when they think Ilyana is dead and everyone's standing around. I mean, we just came off of um, a really, really heavy loss in the previous volume when uh, Doug passed and and that was dealt with really, really well also. And then they're doing they're having to do it again. But this time it's a fake out and we find out that, uh, you know, we can actually be happy at the end of this, this story. It's interesting also to see that in between all those fight scenes, Louis Simonson manages to insert one page with the Handfire Club trying to deal and to maybe try to find a sort of agreement with Nestor yep. because it's a couple of pages roughly and it set up what is going to happen in the next three issues. Uh, it's subtle. Once again, it's uh, it's subplot well done. Yep. Really, it pays off in issue 75. Yeah, it's a really, really nice uh, pacing, nice pacing throughout these mm. issues, especially when you're reading them all together in a huge collection like this. Right. Okay, you want to keep going? Yeah, so issue 74 called The Right Stuff this issue for me is what I call the first part of a of the transition arc because those three issues are the aftermath of the Inferno crossover. So there are some leftover that they're taking care of. Yeah. But it's really uh, a three-step kind of story, which in after issue 76, the team would be completely different. The setup of the and it starts right there. And if you look at, at a simple issue, as a simple issue, it may be fairly, I won't say bland, but basic, but it set up, uh, sets up a, a, a lot of things. The idea is that the new mutants are bringing back the exterminators to uh, the uh, X-Factor ship. So the X-Factor team obviously is not there because they are still 
dealing with the with Inferno in a different location with the X-Men. And the ship is programmed only to accept mutants. So after each member of the team enters the ship, they have a go or no go pass. And this is where we, we learn that uh, Ian has uh, mutant powers or sleeping mutant powers. Um, and the ship identified that Gossamer appears as a dangerous person and the fight starts between uh, the ship that wants to get rid of her and uh, and the new mutants and the exterminators. After the fight concludes, uh, Gossamer decides to, uh, she understands that she has a potential for evil and that, and she proposes her solution and finds a planet where she will try to manage and con- control herself uh, and her powers. So it's removing another member of the team uh, in this episode. And towards the end, uh, in the last page, the, the X-Men are heading, dropped the exterminators and are heading to Xavier Mansion with a very short roster uh, of members. And uh, it's set up what is happening in issue 75. Once again, I think that uh, there's a lot of explanation being done, giving away some element of previous issues, recapping what has happened with Gossamer before and Lila Shini as well. So there is really some, it's not a, the best issue of the book, but it does the per, it serves its purpose very well, I think, in setting up what is going to happen. So really, it's better if you read the, the three chapters one after another, and it gives a, a bit more coherence. It's just that after issue 73, it looks a bit more uh, quiet. <laughs> right. Say. Well, yeah. I don't know how you felt about it. <laughs> I think you can't help because the stakes were so high and, you know, coming yeah. off a double size issue, you do need something smaller scale, a little bit lighter. Uh, my big question, though, is what is the point of Gossamer? Because she comes oh, in, she she mm. sticks around for a few issues, and then she leaves. She makes no impact on any of the members of the team, and then she's just gone. I mm. I kind of feel like maybe Louise Simonson had big plans for her, for this character, but then changed her mind at some point and had to write her out of the story. Uh, because I don't know, maybe through talks, she and Claremont decided the the direction of the X-Men or that these titles were going to go in a different place and there was no room for her story anymore or something like that because it's so strange mm. that she sticks around basically only for Inferno and then she leaves. And she didn't really do anything in Inferno of any sort of notoriety either. Like her character yeah. is kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- and this issue is completely devoted to, to getting, rid, getting of her. rid of her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they must so, have had a reason. I don't know. But it yeah. is hard for me. Like I, I, she was around for such a short time and not the spotlight that I'm not attached to this character at all. So saying goodbye to her wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And uh, especially because uh, the way her powers work, you know, with the scenes, with all the guys trying to hit on her and, and so on. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of thing that gets annoying after two pages. So <laughs> yeah. for me, at least. So I was sort of happy to see her leave. And uh, yeah. And except for Warlock, at the end of the uh, of this issue, you, you get to the core team uh, that was there uh, very early in the in, in the book. Right. Because except for Warlock, the, the four remaining members are founding members yeah and if you threw in shan then that would be Mm. kind of the whole team yeah Yeah, that's that's kind of cool i forgot about that yeah this is our core team and this is what's going to carry us through the next pretty much uh through the the, the rest of this volume until things get shaken up a little bit again (laughs) toward the end 
Uh, this At the end of this issue, it says, uh, what's wrong with the X-Mansion? See X-Factor 39, X-Men 2, 43, and Excalibur 9, and be back next month uh, when the new mutants confront Magneto. And this is, they, they just put these three issues in here because this is kind of the end of Inferno. Those are the last issues of the Inferno story. And I mean, Excalibur 9 doesn't even, you don't even have to read that one. I, I went and mm. read that when just to make sure, and there is no mention of anything happening with the X-Mansion in that, uh, in that issue at all. So um, they just wanted to put it in there so that you know where to read the rest of Inferno. Um, yeah, and um, one the, the the second important thing, and possibly the most important thing in this issue, is not related to the New Mutants, and it ties with the Fire Club. Yes, and the confrontation between Magneto and uh, Sebastian Shaw, and it seems that they are going in um, in very different directions, and uh, they disagree on a lot of things that are that would be even pushed further in issue seventy five. And what's the role of Magneto in the inner circle of the Elfire Club? Uh, and also, what's the purpose of the Empire Club? That's the confrontation we're getting here. And at the end of the issue, also, we see Magneto wearing his kind of old suit again, which I don't think we've seen that much in, in the in previously. So we are getting towards a very clear direction that Magneto is becoming a villain once again, yeah. which will come once again in, uh, to a head next issue. And I really like the the sneaky influence that Emma Frost is like, you know, whispering mm. in in his ear. So it's it's kind of sad because it makes it so that the decision to for Magneto to return back to being a villain, we don't know how much mind control is going in there or how much influence Emma is. I mean, she's definitely speaking mm. words, but how much is she controlling the situation here? One last thing, uh, very interesting to see that the artwork and the inking on the Magneto pages are very, is very different from the New Mutant pages. It's very obvious. It's almost like it's not inked by the same person. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. And uh, it's really, once again, it shows how much Brad Blevins can, can vary in his work and have a different look and feel when it comes to drawing kids and, and grown-ups. Yeah, and who's the inker in this one? Is it Terry? Oh, Bob Wyatchek. I'm not as familiar with his inking style, so I don't know if this, you know, this, the heavy shading, the more realistic rendering mm. is something that he is uh, known for or not. But uh, yeah, it does look different. But it's nice because it suits the mood because mm. uh, they're talking in shadows. And so to have his shadows kind of... And notice it's kind of Magneto's face that's all in the shadows and Emma doesn't mm. really have any shadows on her face at all. Okay, let's keep on going here. New Mutants number 75. This one is called King of the Hill. With a guest penciler and a guest inker, John Byrne as penciler, and the return of Bob McCloud as inker. So this is a very interesting team-up because John Byrne has such a distinct and remarkable style, and he's a good inker himself. In fact, he inks himself on the cover of this, of this issue. But mm -hmm. Bob McCloud, and we've discussed this in the in the first volume and the, or in the first episode and the second episode, um, where we talk about Bob McCloud being a very very strong inker to the point where he puts he'll he'll alter the pencils so that the style looks a lot more like his own style. So while he doesn't do that to the fullest extent here, um, I find that his, his, uh, his philosophy for inking this issue is that if it's the new mutants characters, he's going to change them to look like his style. 
And if it's the Hellfire Club, he's going to kind of leave it alone and make it and keep it looking like John Byrne. And so, and this is most distinct, I think, in the faces when yeah. you look at, because John Byrne has a very distinct way of drawing faces. So if you look at Magneto and Sebastian Shaw, those are always, those always look like John Byrne characters, but then, you know, Cannonball and, and Wolfsbane and such, they look like Bob McLeod drew them way back in the first issue. And I think that definitely the background are John Byrne's. Yeah. Because there's almost no background all through the issue, so it's really it's really the the, the sign of a rushed work by Byrne. <laughs> yeah, I, I must say that back in the days, for me it was a big thing to to try and track down this issue because it's the only issue that Byrne drew of the uh, of the, the new mutants, and I have to say that he doesn't do a very good job, in my <laughs> opinion. I was, and I'm a big fan of of Burn, so yeah. really, uh, I tracked down to, uh, this issue for a while, and I was very, very disappointed in it. No, oh. but you're right. There are no backgrounds, it except for like the odd tree here or there. Uh, whereas mm. John Byrne, if you look at things like Man of Steel and such, he 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 goes all in and his work on Fantastic Four. But yeah, pretty sure this was a rushed job. So they had to get someone in here at the last minute to, to get this issue going. I'm not surprised that it could be a rushed thing. And he did that as a kind of robot artist, like he always mentions, because he used to be very good friend with uh, Walter Simonson. Or I think he's still a very good friend with Walter Simonson. Simonson. Yeah. Uh, and obviously with, uh, with Louise as well. So maybe it was a kind of Hail Mary last minute kind of deadline crushing kind of things that Byrne pulled and uh, and they went to Bob McLeod maybe for also uh, to, to save it. Hmm, could be. Yeah, I'm sure he's just doing kind of breakdowns here. But you look at the last two pages. Hmm. Look at the last two pages yeah. on this issue, pages 256 and 257. And like <laughs> one one page has Magneto, the same Magneto face in three hmm. panels. Uh, Sunspots is a copy-paste as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's copy-paste. Yeah, exactly, exactly copy-paste. And all of these characters are just standing in, just especially on the last page, just standing poses, which are just kind of the easiest mm. to do. So <laughs> there's not much there. And the one panel with, with Warlock as a helicopter, it's so simple. There's nothing else around it. And yeah, definitely a rush job. But having said that, the scripting mm. is really, really good. Um, yeah. The Louis Simonson, because there's a lot of dialogue in this one and a lot of exposition to, to tell us why why there's a fight, why there's kind of infighting in the Hellfire Club, and where each character, like where Sebastian Shaw and Magneto stand in terms of their position, uh, in terms of mutant relations, all of that kind of stuff, and also what the new mutants think about what they're observing through all of this. Yeah, he does a, she does a really, really good job. Mm, yeah, uh, I have to say that I was screaming retcon almost every page. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and I was reading that. Yeah. And this goes back to the thing about Gossamer. It's like this change came on fairly quickly through the Inferno through the Inferno storyline. I know they've been building up this Hellfire Club story for, I mean, it's been going on for 30 issues or something like that, right? But mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. The, the, the sudden flip of Magneto's mind makes me think that there was some sort of summit meeting where they're all getting together and they're like, okay, we need to go in a different direction. So mm. Gossamer's out of here. We're stripping the team down and uh, Magneto's not going to be the team leader anymore. And 
uh, and we're going in a totally different direction. I wonder if Claremont wanted Magneto back. I have a different proposal to make on sure. this. Sure, yeah, uh, bring it. Because seven or eight issues down the road, we have Act of Vengeance yeah. coming, and Magneto is part of it, and okay. he's a villain in the crossover. So maybe, uh, and it was Byrne that, uh, that initiated this Act of Vengeance crossover, so maybe it all tied together between the, the Avengers office and the X-Men office, and maybe it came with uh, with Claremont's and Simonson's blessing to say, okay, this, this plot with Magneto leading the team is not going anywhere. If they want a representative from the X-Books, uh, like a villain, a villain representative from the mm. X-Books to take part in Acts of Vengeance uh, alongside Doctor Doom and Kingpin and Loki, like who's the obvious choice? Definitely Magneto, yeah. but not in the state that he was here as leader of the New Mutants or whatever. Yeah, they, they did need to bring him back to that way. So th- there's a lot of things which I found really strange or really funny because y- you never know how much in advance this was, uh, what, what was plot and not but Magneto says that in the kind of retcon that takes place in this issue, uh, Magneto says that he never had the idea of being the leader. He just wanted to infiltrate them. And he saw that the X-Men were hopeless. So he turned towards the new mutants to turn them into soldiers, soldiers for yeah. skulls. Yeah. And you read that and you remember that 20 issues down the road, it's X-Force and Cable arrives in uh, 15 issues or so. And turns and them all into the soldiers. Into soldiers. So you don't, re- I really don't know how in advance Cable was was planned or not, but it's, there's definitely an echo between what Magneto is saying and uh, especially when he says that uh, Roberto would be the first to join uh, an army of soldiers and he would be part of X-Force. Wow. So it was really funny to read that and see this connection between the, these two moments, especially because Louis Simonson was also writing the end of the of the New Mutants run when Cable joins and uh, Rob Liefeld is, uh, is drawing the book. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. And it all, uh, I mean, I haven't read those issues, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But it's almost like, you know, the X-Force team, I know there was pushback when Cable starts doing things a little bit more militaristic uh, from the mm. from the other members of the team, but their minds are already a little bit open to the idea of that because of the way Magneto has trained them in these issues here. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely the step two of what I saw as this kind of uh, in-between or transition arc because now they have reduced the team to the core members the mention is gone yep. and they have they no more have a, a mentor so they are stripped to to the bone really uh, of the team uh, and they are ready to move on to something else and speaking of moving on to something else here is new yep. mutants number 76 nice segue yep. <laughs> uh, this one's called splash and it's a pretty fun issue, actually. It's kind of the calm before mm. the storm as we start to move into some uh, some other territory here. Uh, another transition issue, like you were saying, the the new mutants try to, to, to hook back up with um, the exterminators. They realize they haven't slept in days, and so they're hoping to get some rest. So they go to the ship to only to find it being attacked by a kraken or something. And, uh, and so they, they help, they come to save the day. What they don't know is that the exterminators found um, a, a horn. This is really funny. They find a horn at the bottom mm. of the ocean and they blow the horn and the horn calls the giant monster. And this is a direct uh, reference to Fantastic Four number four way back in the 60s 
when the first appearance of Namor in, in the Silver Age, uh, when Namor blows the horn and, and gets this big monster whale to attack mm-hmm. the city. And so, of course, Namor shows up. And he's like, what the heck are you guys doing? Stop blowing that horn. <laughs> it's like, it's great. Um, it's a fun issue. I like the dynamic between all of these characters. I think Louise Simonson knows how to make them act like teenagers. There's there's kind of a bickering among them or a little bit of uh, I know better than you. And and then Namor comes in with his arrogance and mm. like shows them what's going on. And in the end, um, they kind of learn from each other a little bit about about a few different things. And X-Factor makes a cameo at the appearance at, at the end, kind of coming in as you know, a typical movie where there's a party in a house and the parents walk mm. in and they see everything's a mess. Yeah. And like, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really great. I, I enjoyed this one, even though it's kind of a pointless, just a fun issue, a fun, fun one-shot issue. Yeah, it's a goofy thing. Also, there's a kind of kind of Jules Verne vibe to the big monster. And uh, there's all these goofy things uh, happening, uh, like... And they are trying to blow the horn, and that is shell that goes into Richter's face. Yeah. Uh, so it's really a mix of of adventure stuff, classic adventure stuff. Yeah. Superhero uh, action. It's very. It has a Silver Age feel to it, I think, in that sense. Yes. Yes. And the the look and feel by Rick Buckler and Tom Palmer certainly also drives that. Yes. What I really felt was a was a strange moment when you compare the beginning and the end of the issue is that at the beginning the team is almost breaking up yeah and they they, they say okay we, we have lost everything so now all we have to do is call our respective parents and, and close go home. one and, and go home and that's where that what they are uh, heading for and it's a bunch of bigots and the arrival of police because of the display of powers uh, by sunspot that gets them back together and they find out that this the best solution is to to go to visit the exterminators. So it's almost accidental that the the team doesn't break up. And this is a pivotal moment for them because from here on out, New Mutants and and Exterminators are together. They they, uh, join forces and X-Factor kind of takes them under the wing for a little bit here, but for the most part, they don't really have anything to do with X-Factor anymore. But, you know, these these characters, Richter and Boom Boom especially, stick around until the end of this title and into X-Force. So we are seeing the beginning yes. of, of X-Force right here. I think it's, uh, it could have been a very interesting thing to have X-Factor and the New Mutants because you have the first mutant team and uh, the, the most recent one. So there, there could have been some nice interactions there, but it never really worked out. So it was more of a way to, to get a new team together than anything else. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I uh, the, These issues are interesting because even though, like you said, it's transition, they still have significance in terms of their character development and moving the plot mm. and overall story forward. Even this issue, which is kind of, it seems like a throwaway fun story that shouldn't have any real bearing, but it's like this, they still put a new team together. Mm. All of these issues are important. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, I think that maybe in the Silver Age, this would have been done in one issue, you know, like those transition issues when the, the, the roster of the Avengers was changing, like Avengers 16, you yeah. know, things like that. Uh, here it takes place in three different issues with three key moments, I think. So, and, and it's really the central part of the book because there is really the before with Inferno and the after with the Valkyrie thing. And we also get into a completely different book right after that. So yeah. it's a nice moment. 
one of the things that really makes this issue is Tom Palmer's inking. Always a fan mm. of Tom Palmer. He's so good and adds such a richness to all of the art that he, he brings. And if you go to the next issue, which is also Rich Buckler, but it's inked and finished by Roy Richardson, which I, that's a name I don't know at all. And you can really yeah. feel the difference. It's not nearly as, as interesting and as compelling as this issue here, this one right here. So uh, it's a good combination yeah. with bringing in Tom Palmer. Too bad he doesn't stick around. It, it gives different vibe because uh, I, I don't know if it was at the same time that uh, Rick Buckler was working on uh, Spectacular Spider-Man and the, the issue 77 looks a lot more like what Buckler was doing on Spider-Man while here it looks obviously a lot more like Avengers stuff because of Tom Palmer's work. Yes. It's always interesting to see how a different inker can change the, the, the vibe of the book. Yeah. Well, and that brings us up to where we left off last time, or where we began last time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so you can already find New Mutants Episode 6B if you search my archives at epicmarvelpodcast.com. You'll be able to find that ad episode. We don't have any other New Mutants episodes recorded yet. You'll have to wait for the future for that one, but we'll circle back around to this uh, at some point. But as far as the podcast is concerned, we're going to dip into um, X Factor next, Peter David's X Factor. So we'll begin that next week. Not with Frank, we'll be uh, joined by Jared Abrahamson, who you heard from in this episode as well. Nice tie-in. Yeah, they're very nice. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Thanks, Frank, for joining us for these last few episodes. It's been a real joy to talk to you about New Mutants. And uh, the next time we have you on, we'll maybe circle back around to Spider-Man. Yeah, for sure. For some old-time stuff. Old-time stuff, yeah. Some classic, classic Spider-Man. Uh, but other than that, everybody, you can join me on my Facebook group if you search for Epic Collections on Facebook or uh, find me on uh, Instagram or Twitter and YouTube. I just hit a 1,000 subscribers, so that's pretty cool. Thanks, everybody, for, for subscribing. Um, and other than that, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.